Brought to you by GSK. If we map the genetics of a disease, could we change its course? At GSK, we know the information encoded in our genes provides vital knowledge, so we're working with partners to decode it. Using technology like an advanced search engine, we can spot the patterns that lead to diseases like Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. Because by identifying the patterns that cause disease, we hope to transform how patients are treated in the future. Thanks for listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. I've got a special request this week. Snap Judgment with Glenn Washington is one of NPR's most popular podcasts. And right now they're raising money to keep the stories coming. Stories like what happens when you take a regular person and back him up against a wall. And that moment where everything you count on disappears. If Snap has become a favorite of yours, or if you've shared a Snap story, step up now and support NPR storytelling with a beat. Make a contribution right now at snapjudgment.org. And thanks. Sometimes when we set out to fix what is broken, we can argue not only about what the fix should be, but actually about what the problem is. And when it comes to American public education, the diagnosis has been offered that our schools suffer from a lack of consistent standards coast to coast about what our kids should leave school knowing. And the fix that has been adopted in a number of states in the last few years, it is a set of standards called the Common Core, which have become the most contentious issue in American education in the last generation, with disputes about who drew up these standards, whether they result in kids being over-tested, and, and even whether standards make sense, that they have to be common. Are we fixing the right problem? Well, that sounds like the makings of a debate, So let's have it. Yes or no to this statement, embrace the common core. A debate from Intelligence Squared U.S. I'm John Donvan. We are at the Kaufman Music Center in New York City. Let's please meet our debaters. Please welcome first Carmel Martin. And uh, Carmel, you are arguing for the motion, Embrace the Common Core. You are right now at the Center for American Progress. You're an executive VP there for policy. You were in the Obama administration four years as assistant secretary at the Department of Education. The question we have for you is, back at the beginning of this, did anybody see that there would be a political backlash with the administration's endorsement? Well, honestly, John, we weren't thinking about political backlash. We were thinking about what was best for kids. But I do agree that the issues become a little bit of a political football, which I think is unfortunate. And I hope people will focus on what's best for children. And and your partner is Carmel. The brilliant Michael Petrelli. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Petrelli. Michael, that was a very nice introduction. I I was hoping for good-looking, but I'll take brilliant. That's good. That's okay. You are not only good-looking, you are also president of the Education Policy Think Tank, the Thomas Fordham Institute. You're an executive editor of uh, Education Next. Um, The Common Core, it's not an easy left-right issue. There are people on both sides from both ends of the spectrum. And a case in point in that is that uh, your debate partner, as pointed out, is a liberal, while you represent a conservative think tank. Is it starting to get a little lonely on the conservative side? Uh, perhaps a little lonelier, uh, but it's important to know that still half of the nation's Republican governors are supportive of the Common Core. So lonelier, but I am far from alone. Thank you very much. Mike Petrelli, everybody. Our motion is Embrace the Common Core. We have two debaters who are arguing against this motion. First, please welcome Carol Burris. Carol, you are, uh, you are the educator on the stage tonight. You're principal of Southside High School in Rockville Center, New York. 2013, a New York High School Principal of the Year. Uh, what, what do your students at, uh, at Southside make of this whole controversy over the Common Core? Well, over half of my ninth graders uh, last year refused to take the Common Core test when they were in eighth grade with their parents' permission. So I think it's safe to say they're not fans. All right. I have a feeling maybe some of them are here. Thank you, Carol Burris. And, and, and your partner tonight is? My partner is the good-looking and charming Rick Hess. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick Hess. Rick, you're at the American Enterprise Institute. You're uh, in education policy studies, resident scholar and director of that section. You have a blog called Rick Hess Straight Up at Education Week. Uh, Like your opponent, Mike, you are an executive editor for Education Next. 
And it's also interesting to note, you and your opponent, Mike, co-wrote a book in 2006. So th- th- are, are there no more collaborations down, <laughs> down the road for the two of you? You know, John, we wrote that book on No Child Left Behind after Mike, who'd been an enthusiast, uh, came to share uh, my more measured take. Uh, I'm hopeful that history will eventually repeat itself. All right. Thank you, Rick Hess. Our motion is embrace the common core. Uh, This is a debate. There will be a winner and a loser by a vote of the live audience. By the time the debate has ended, you will have been asked to vote twice, once before the debate and once again after the debate. And the team whose numbers have moved the most in percentage point terms will be declared our winner. Round one, opening statements by each debater in turn. Speaking first for the motion, Embrace the Common Core, Mike Petrelli, president of the Thomas B. Fordham Institute. He is a research fellow at Stanford's Hoover Institution and author of The Diverse Schools Dilemma. Ladies and gentlemen, Mike Petrelli. Thank you very much. Uh, It is such an honor to be here today. Let, Let me tell you a little bit about what our game plan is. Uh, I will start by talking about what it means to embrace the Common Core. Uh, Carmel then is going to talk about the process of developing the Common Core, the role that educators play, the role that evidence played. Now, what you won't hear us argue is, first of all, that Common Core is going to solve all of our nation's educational problems, because, of course, it won't. Uh, You're not going to hear us say that the Common Core are perfect. They were not handed down from Mount Sinai. They are not set in stone. And you're not going to... uh, Uh, to to hear us say that it's all going perfectly out there around the country. Because, of course, it's not all going perfectly out there around the country. This is a big country, 50 million kids in public schools, 100,000 of those schools. And like any ambitious reform, it's a work in progress. Despite all of that, uh, you should still embrace the Common Core. Now, why is that? Why should you embrace the Common Core? And what does that mean? Uh, In our view, to embrace the Common Core is, first of all, to embrace the idea that our schools should have standards, right? That doesn't sound so radical. Uh, And that the standards that we have should be set at a high enough level to indicate that our students are ready for what comes next, that they're either ready to go and succeed in college or to go and get a good-paying job. Now, what you might have to understand is that this is a radical departure from how we used to do things. Uh, states did have standards before the Common Core, but by and large, they were set at a very, very low level. And so what that meant is that students could meet those standards. They could pass the standardized tests connected to those standards, but it didn't mean that they were ready for success later on. In fact, in many states, it didn't even mean that they were at grade level. So to embrace the Common Core is to say, let's embrace standards that are set at this college and career ready level. It's also to say that we should embrace the idea of moving to next-generation assessments, right? Tests that measure these standards that are worlds better than the tests that we've been living with for the past two decades. Now, what's the problem we're trying to address? It's not that schools are failing. It's that our schools, by and large, are mediocre when compared to schools overseas. And it's not just our demographics. It's not just because we have a lot of childhood poverty, though we do. Our rich kids uh, are in the middle of the pack compared to other rich kids around the world. Poor kids, middle-class kids, high achievers, low achievers. Throughout the education system, it's this concern around mediocrity. And we've made some progress, right? Poor and minority and low-achieving kids today are reading and doing math two to three grade levels ahead of where they were back in the 1990s. But because the standards were set so low and because the tests have been so easy, all of the focus has been getting the lowest performing kids over that very low standard, right? And that's led to great progress for the kids at the bottom. But it hasn't done much for the kids at the middle or the kids at the top. This is our chance to embrace the Common Core is to fix all of that. Now, Rick and Carol are going to say that we should not embrace the Common Core. Uh, But what do they want? Do they want us to go back to the old standards, the ones that were set way too low? Do they want to follow the example of Oklahoma, the one state in the country that has repealed the Common Core and replaced it with something else right away? And in Oklahoma today, today, in Oklahoma schools, teachers did not know what standards they were supposed to teach to. They don't know six months from now which tests they're going to be held accountable to, but I guarantee you it's not going to be one of these next-generation assessments because there's no time and there's no money for that. Lots more to talk about uh, throughout this debate, but for all of those reasons, this is why you should vote to embrace the Common Core. Thank you. Thank you, Mike Latrelli. And now here to speak against the motion, Carol Burris. She is an award-winning principal at Southside High in Rockville Center, New York. She also blogs on Answer Sheet in the Washington Post. Ladies and gentlemen, Carol Boris. Good evening. 
Let's begin with kindergarten. Listen while I read this Common Core kindergarten standard. Compose and decompose numbers from 11 to 19 into 10 ones and some further ones. Example, by using objects or drawings and record each composition or decomposition by a drawing or equation. Example, 18 equal 10 plus 8. Understand that these numbers are composed of 10 ones and 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, or 9 ones. Now I ask you, should that be a standard for a five-year-old? Well, in 2010, when the standards were first rolled out, experts said no. 500 early childhood experts, pediatricians, psychologists, researchers, and teachers found the Common Core standards to be so developmentally inappropriate that they called for their suspension in grades K through 3. Why? Because the Common Core standards disregard decades of research on early reading development and instead yank up difficulty levels at every grade. The Common Core standards were built backwards from grade 12 down to pre-K. But kids don't grow backwards. They grow forward. And their development is unique and uneven. Now, most of the time when we think of standards, we think about what topics should be taught at different grade levels. But the Common Core goes beyond and seeks to influence how math should be taught, often in confusing ways. Here's a first grade example. Use strategies such as counting on, making 10, example, 8 plus 6 equal 8 plus 2 plus 4 equal 10 plus 4 equal 14, decomposing a number leading to a 10. Example, 13 minus 4 equal 13 minus 3 minus 1 equal 10 minus 1 equal 9, and creating equivalent but easier or known sums. Now, when you listen to that, are we surprised that we have created complicated homework problems that comedians joke about and that make children cry? This is not a Tea Party rebellion. This is a parent rebellion. And then, yes, there are the tests. Even as the consortia developed national tests, New York State has given Common Core tests twice, and they're based on arbitrary measures of proficiency. Bad test scores have consequences for kids. High school graduation rates are expected to plummet. The Carnegie Corporation has predicted that the four-year graduation rate will drop from 75% to 53%. And so I urge you to vote no at the end of this debate, because if we embrace the Common Core, we are embracing a set of flawed standards that will mark as failures more than half of our kids. And your kids and your grandkids deserve better than that. Thank you. Thank you, Carol Burris. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. The topic up for debate, should we embrace the Common Core? And a reminder of where we are, we are halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, arguing it out over this motion, Embrace the Common Core. You have heard from the first two debaters, and now on to the third. Let's please welcome Carmel Martin. She is Executive Vice President for Policy at the Center for American Progress. She served as Assistant Secretary for Planning, Evaluation, and Policy Development at the Department of Education. Ladies and gentlemen, Carmel Martin. Thank you, John, and thanks to Intelligence Square for bringing uh, this debate here tonight and including me in it. I want to start by telling you the story of Janelle. Janelle is an African-American woman from the north side of Philadelphia. Her parents believed in the power of education to transform lives. They had one overriding message for their daughter. Do well in school and you will be the first person in the family to go to college. She took honors courses. She got all A's. She was her uh, vice president of her senior class, and she graduated in the top of her class. She was number three in her class. 
She diligently applied to college, and she and her parents ecstatically celebrated when she not only got into college, but got a full scholarship. But it wasn't very long after going to college uh, before she realized that she had been duped. The A she'd earned in her honors courses in high school seemed to bear little relationship with what it took to succeed in her college-level courses. In subject after subject, she struggled, becoming more and more dejected. She explained to me that in high school, her teachers helped her translate her textbooks. But when she got to college, her professors expected her to be able to do that for herself and then analyze the information as opposed to just understanding it. As a result, Janelle's GPA dropped, and she lost eligibility for her scholarships. The Common Core is for Janelle and for the thousands of students who are giving it their all but not getting their money's worth. We know what we were doing before wasn't working. We see remediation rates as high as one in four college students who are not ready for college-level material. And that translates, just here in New York, to $80 million in wasted resources that could be spent on other supports for our students to be successful. Now, I'd like to clear up a couple misconceptions about the Common Core that have been promoted by the Glenn Becks of the world. First, the Common Core was not developed in secret and was not developed by the federal government. This was an initiative led by Democratic Governor Markell of Delaware and Republican Governor Sonny Perdue of Georgia. Back in 2008, virtually all of the governors, with the exception of Rick Perry and Sarah Palin, were strongly supportive of it. Unlike the previous patchwork of standards, the Common Core was developed with significant input from educators and content experts like the National Council of Teachers of Mathematics. The authors consulted teacher unions, the civil rights community, college leaders, and business leaders. The standards were revised based on over 10,000 comments from the, from the general public. And contrary to the assertion of the opposition, most teachers are not opposed to the standards and indeed strongly support them. John, a high school geometry teacher, said it better than I could. The old standards gave teachers a set of specific and sometimes constricting directions on where to turn, when to turn, and how fast to go. The Common Core standards instead give us mileposts to aim for, tell us where we should end up, but not how to get there. Because the Common Core requires children to become problem solvers and good communicators, the new tests aligned to them will measure complex thinking, reading, writing, communications, and problem-solving kids' skills. As a result, teachers will no longer be driven to narrow the curriculum or teach to a bad test. There have always been standards and always will be standards. There have always been tests and there always will be tests. It's time to get them right. For that reason, I ask you to embrace the Common Core. Thank you. Carmel Martin, speaking for the motion. And now to speak against the motion in the final statement of the opening round, please welcome Rick Hess. He is a resident scholar and director of educational policy studies at the American Enterprise Institute, author of several books on education, including Cage Busting Leadership. Speaking against the motion, embrace the Common Core. Please welcome Rick Hess. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here with you this evening to talk about this issue. There's a couple reasons that we should absolutely not embrace the Common Core. First, the Common Core does not solve the problem that it was designed to solve. The motivation behind the launch of the Common Core was what we called the race to the bottom, after no child left behind, the concern that states were playing games with their test scores in order to make their schools look better than they were. Common Core was supposed to help address this. It doesn't. It doesn't because in order to get a lot of states to sign on, partly with the inducement of federal money, the advocates for the Common Core brutally compromised the design of the thing. Common Core allows every state to set its own cut score, so every state can decide what is or is not passing. The Smarter Balance Consortia, one of the two federally funded testing consortia, gives states a 12-week testing window They can decide where in a 12-week period during the spring they would like to test their kids. That means some states can have their kids get 50% more learning time than other states. This is a time-tested way to inflate your test scores. And 
only about 35 to 40% of students are actually going to be tested in the spring with the federally funded Common Core assessments. Other states have been bailing in droves, and we've now got a slew of states whipping up half-baked assessments for next spring that certainly aren't comparable and very likely may be lousier tests than the one they abandoned for the Common Core. Second issue going on here is a number of strident claims are made for the Common Core. We are told that the Common Core is evidence-based. We are told that it's internationally benchmarked, that it's rigorous. Lynn Fuchs, professor at Vanderbilt, who's got no dog in the Common Core fight, has pointed out that there's no empirical basis for the Common Core, that we don't know yet whether it makes sense to have this particular set of standards or not. Internationally benchmarked? What they mean is the people on the committees writing the Common Core looked at some international standards, and they copied some, and they didn't copy others. The idea that the Common Core is more rigorous? Well, frankly, the Common Core ends high school math after Algebra II. Most state standards went beyond that. They included trigonometry and pre-calculus. But the Common Core is actually not just about words on paper. It's also about a series of hypotheses about how kids will learn better. And they have received shockingly little debate, given how radical they are. One is a fascination with what Common Core advocates called close reading. This is the idea that students ought to learn to read by deciphering the text without regard to other knowledge and without any personal reaction to the text. Now, I don't have a problem with close reading. It turns out when I taught high school two decades ago, I actually did a fair bit of this. But the idea that this is how every child at every grade level, in every subject across the ocean, ought to experience reading? I find that a radical proposition. Common Core embraces something called informational text, informational reading. At the high school level, it wants kids to read 70% informational text. It doesn't want to do this in English class, which is why we are now looking at children in chemistry classes, for instance, reading EPA reports. The idea that you are going to learn science more effectively by reading EPA reports than by doing lab is a radical proposition. In sum, given that the Common Core doesn't solve the problem, has been sold based on exaggerated claim, and calls for major changes of a certain value, it seems to me reasonable not to embrace the darn thing. Thank you. Thank you, Rick Hess. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is embrace the Common Core. Now on to round two. Round two is where the debaters address one another in turn, and they take questions from me and from you in the audience. But to remember where we are and where we've been, we have two teams against two. Carmel Martin and Mike Petrelli are arguing for the motion. Their argument saying, no, they're saying the standards are not perfect. They're saying the implementation has had problems. But they say that basically the idea is sound and the need is real, that our schools are mediocre, that they're letting down students, not allowing them to graduate in ways where they're pre prepared for college or the job world. And finally, they say, quote, unquote, the common core standards are a crucial step forward for American education. The team arguing against the motion, Carol Burris and Rick Hess, arguing that you do not embrace the common core. Their argument is that the standards disregard decades of research on child development, on how children learn. The claim that they're raising the standards is bogus when they're doing things like jettisoning the last two years of high school mathematics. And they finally come down with this, that there is no evidence that the standards actually will lead to improvements in student achievement. I want to take to this side the very strong charge made by your opponent, Carol Boris. I want to take to the side arguing to embrace the Common Core. Carol Boris's statement that there is no evidence that these standards actually will result in achievement. I mean, I think that's just factually inaccurate. I think that the, the folks who got together to draft the new standards ver relied very heavily on the existing research that they had about what children needed to be able to do and what, what set of knowledge they needed to have to be successful in college and in good jobs. Uh, they brought in the people from the post-secondary sector, something that hadn't been done in K-12 education historically, which really is pretty illogical that that hadn't been done before. They brought in people from the business community to talk about what skills they needed uh, their employees to have. They brought in content experts. They showed the standards to the associations that represent teachers in mathematics and English language arts, and they took 
taking in their input. I think if you look at the process that was used in the development of these standards and compare okay. it to the the process that was used under the old standards by most states, that it was very rigorous, and they did look at evidence. Carol Burris, have you been refuted on this point? Uh, no. I, I, the truth of the matter is one of the things that's very different about the Common Core that I spoke about is unlike the old Massachusetts standards or standards in New York, which really just identified what kids should know at grade level, the Common Core standards create um, or contain what's called instructional shifts in practice. Six in ELA and six in math. ELA? Yeah, English language arts. Thank you. Um, for example, the whole idea that it makes sense for young children to engage in close reading, there is absolutely no evidence that that's the case. At the high school level, yes, but not at the elementary level. We know from years of developmental reading research that kids do best when they read independently with leveled readers. But the Common Core says no. The Common Core says predominant reading should be on what is considered to be grade level, which has just been increased, and if the kids don't get it, well, the teacher should read it aloud. Well, let me tell you something. You learned how to ride your bicycle by riding your bicycle. You didn't learn how to ride your bicycle by having your dad never taken his hands off the bar. Mike, let's let Mike Petrelli respond. We've had a system for years where we've said, okay, if a child can only read at the first grade level and they're in fifth grade, we're going to give them first grade level books, right, with the hope that over time they would get better. The problem is there's five or six rigorous studies showing, by and large, those kids were never getting better at reading, and that what the study showed is what you really need to do is find ways to get the kids to read more challenging texts at their grade level, which means, at first, that the teachers start by reading it aloud, having the kids follow along. They do what they call scaffolding over time. And over time, uh, they start to teach the kids how to do this reading so that they can let go of the handlebar and they can ride the bike on their own. And kids who are way behind grade level, including kids who are special education students, are never going to make progress if we don't challenge them with those grade level texts. This is what the evidence says. And the Common Core looks for the evidence. Rick has to respond. He's wisely letting the applause die yeah. down before he speaks. Mike, I hate to step on the applause line, but actually I think you conflated two things. You conflated close reading and lexiles. These are not the same thing. What's a lexile? Uh, lexile is gauging how complicated a piece of reading is, a, a, a piece of literature. Look, close reading is a particular theory of how kids should read. David Coleman, uh, president of the college board, uh, the lead writer on the English language art standard, uh, like to talk about close reading uh, as teaching kids to read like a detective and write like a journalist. Um, frankly, I think that sounds perfectly fine as one piece of how we teach children to read. I don't think that I, I'm a particular fan of the idea that every child in America from grades K to 12 ought to learn to write like a journalist. Right, but Rick, uh, is, is that actually in the standards? Do the standards say that? No. Let me, let me bring a question to, the, to your opponents because it's something about your opening statements that I either didn't understand or uh, confused me. It sounded, I felt I was hearing a mixed message. I was hearing from you, Carol, these standards are too high for kids in kindergarten. I was hearing from Rick, these standards are too low. And I'm not sure which way you're going on this. Great question. <laughs> Rick, do you want to take it or, or Carol? I'd be happy, I'd be happy to take it. it it's, it's not a matter of too, of too high or too low. It's a matter of silly and not right. For example, in the early grades, there are a lot of standards that are not developmentally appropriate. But then when you go up to the high school level, which Rick was talking about, I mean, I was talking with my math teachers today. We have to implement common core geometry. Well, what does it do? It's a whole different course in geometry based on constructions. Well, it worked out really well for the early Greeks, but it is not an effective strategy today. We actually tried it in our school a couple years ago in anticipation of the Common Core, and the kids were lost. Trigonometry has been stripped out of the Algebra II class. So the problems that you hear is not it's too hard or it's too soft. It's just not right at a variety of levels. So your point being, it, it's wonky in many ways. Yes. Fair enough. <laughs> it, it can be wonky in many ways, and your point would hold up. I want to take to Mike Petrelli, because you were talking in your opening statement about the nature of testing. 
Testing is one of the things that is, m- parents are most upset about. Not only are they confused by the work they're doing, they're very, very upset about the testing processes. How, wh- what is your response to those parents? Right, uh, is, is that their concerns are very well-founded, as are the concerns of many educators who have been complaining for years, decades now, that the tests we've been using to judge schools are not well-designed. And they're right. Uh, those tests, by and large, have been very inexpensive tests. Uh, they've been set at a low level. They've been fill in the blank. And now we finally have this opportunity to move to much better tests with the Common Core that are under development, that are coming this spring for the very first time. Uh, it's very hard to test kids' critical thinking skills if it's just multiple choice, right? Certainly hard to test their writing skills. Yet a state like Georgia has been trying to get by with a test that costs $8 per kid and therefore doesn't have any writing on it. Uh, And what we're trying to do here is is to turn that page. So to say, look, there were major problems with the tests under the No Child Left Behind era. We've heard those concerns, and now we're trying to get to something better, something that I think Carol and and, and Rick have supported in the past. I'd appreciate it if, Rick, if you want to step in just because we haven't heard from you in a bit. And you look like you're steaming there. (laughs) And if you you want to defer to your partner, please do. No, I always look that way. Um, I I think... (laughs) Two thoughts, one on testing and one just on the, the, the prior question. One, you know, John, I think one way to think about this is it's really we're debating embrace the Common Core. Again, I'm not declaring the Common Core to be atrocious or malicious. I am suggesting that the standard of proof for the Common Core is much higher than for old state standards. Massachusetts had had state standards in place for 18 years, give or take. Those standards had produced... Uh, substantial and sustained improvements in student learning. If what Mike and Carmel had been advocating for was taking these standards whose tires we had kicked for 15 or more years and taking those national, I would have been very open to that. The idea that we have a bunch of design hypotheses about what kids should know, we think, maybe, and how they should learn it, maybe, the idea that we want to roll this out for 50 million children with little opportunity to see how this plays out or what it means leaves me remarkably nervous. So for me, it's, so, so for me, it's less about too high or too low. I frankly think we just don't know. On the testing point, um, I mean, again, like I said at the beginning, I'm with Mike. I'm for good tests. I'm anti-bad tests. Mike and I are on the yes. same page here. <laughs> um, but, but I, I think the notion that the Common Core tests are good is an open question. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared U.S., Oxford-style debating on American shores. Join us online at iq2us.org to vote on the motion and keep the debate going. All right, I want to remind you that we are in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator, and we have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, Embrace the Common Core. Let's go to some audience questions. I understand this side arguing against has posed a lot of criticisms on the Common Core test, but I want to go back to something that you had said in your opening remarks about if we accepted that position, what would we be accepting in its place? Is it a national test based on the Massachusetts standard? Is it going back to different state standards? Would we just be kind of waiting and hoping something came along better? What would happen if we don't embrace the Common Core? Sure. That's a great question. Uh, Carol, does Carol want to take it? So, you know, my response would be, look, I think not embracing the Common Core says that there, if there are states where parents and educators and policymakers are sufficiently enthused about the work. I think there's eight eight or 12 or 15 of these. I think they should proceed and they can go down that road and we can see how well it works and see what the results are. I think in other states, we should feel comfortable with states either choosing to revert to the standards they had in place, highly regarded previous standards like Massachusetts, D.C.'s, Indiana's, or California's. Because remember, nobody hit the delete button on those old standards. I think it makes sense before one does a dramatic and bold remaking of uh, of the schools serving 50 million kids that we actually move deliberately and carefully for once and see how this works and what unanticipated changes lurk. Mike Petrelli. Well, you know, I, I know Rick spends a lot of his time writing, writing books uh, in a cave somewhere. I think he's been in a cave, perhaps, because, uh, Rick, is 2014. Teachers have been implementing these standards for four years in these states, okay? So 
you know, there, there Mike, are I enormous. Believe, I believe. Let, 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 let him go on. Let's be clear that this is not now a hypothetical argument. Should we adopt the Common Core? Schools have adopted it. They're moving forward. And you've held this very high bar, both you and Carol today, that basically the Common Core have to be remarkable in order to go ahead. So if you're going to go back to those old standards, those lower standards in the vast majority of states, what is your evidence that we should move to those lower standards? Why aren't you having a high bar for that? Carol Burris. You know, I don't live in the world of talking points where I have to worry about changing my mind. I, I live in the world of kids. We're really resilient, smart people, teachers. Please don't think that we could not adjust. I've lived through four sets of standards since I've been in education. We can do it. We can do the work. We need the federal government to back off, and we need to have dialogues within our states where we take, maybe we start with the Common Core. We clean up what's a mess, and we make them actually better. If we are all doing the same thing in every state and doing it the same way, where will the new ideas come from? I want to remind you we're in the question and answer section of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan, your moderator. We have four debaters, two teams of two, debating this motion, Embrace the Common Core. Sorry, right there. Hi, my name is Trevor. I want to know numbers quantitatively. How much testing is there in the Common Core to be expected? And also, what do you think that does specifically for the morale of the students and also the teachers? Uh, Carmel Martin. Well, I don't have the exact numbers in terms of how much time will be spent testing. What we see across the country is districts layering on additional assessments on top. And I think as we move towards these Uh, better assessments under the Common Core that we can eliminate unnecessary testing. Um, I think testing is a tough issue. It's something my my kids hate it, uh, and I have to explain to them why they have to do it and how it provides really valuable information to their teachers, just like when I bring my child to the doctor and they say, I really don't want to get that shot. Sometimes you have to do things that aren't very pleasant. I think what's important is to make sure that in creating a culture around testing, we're not making children stressed out. We're not making them cry over the tests. And I think part of that is professional development, the environment in the school around the test. Right up against the wall there. Hi, good evening. My name is Pamela. I'm a New York City Department of Education teacher. I've been teaching since the late 70s. Everybody learns differently. We all know this. There's been a hierarchy of learning for all those years. My question is, how Does adhering to the Common Core advance the progress of teaching with differentiated instruction to support the way that students learn and the way that they test? Because, as you said, not all students test well. You you actually had a question mark, and I'm going to land it there. Yes, I did. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the question. Go to Mike Petrelli. Thank you. That's a great question. You know, this is key, and we've had these debates for a long time, is to say that, you know, standards does not have to equal standardization. Different schools have different approaches, different teachers have different approaches, and different kids are going to learn different ways, and that's all absolutely appropriate. What we don't want to have is a system uh, that has standards that are set so low that we're giving the false impression that kids are doing fine when they're not. Colorado, before they adopted the Common Core, for example, you could score at the 10th percentile in reading in Colorado and be considered proficient. Rick Hess. Rick Hess. So, Mike, first, that's not an accurate characterization of what it means to be a Common Core state. As you well know, lots of Common Core states are making up their own tests. They are choosing their own cut score. Nothing of significance has changed from under NCLB. My argument is that those states have not embraced the Common Core because you cannot embrace higher standards if you don't also embrace better assessments. But Mike, they go embracing the together. Common Core, does embracing the Common Core mean embracing a national cut score? I, I would prefer that kind of policy. And it looks like the uh, states that are doing the park test, uh, as far as we can tell, are going to agree to a common cut score. So we will have made some progress on these issues. But look, Rick, I Wait, would that's love... A ye- that's a yes. That is a yes. Okay, you yes. got a yes on that. Are you surprised by that? No, frankly, I mean, I think this is part of it. I think not embracing the Common Core is to say, look, 
a number of states should do the Common Core, and they should do it uncompromisingly and aggressively, and we should see if their children actually benefit. The average urban school system in the United States launched 13 major reform waves between 92 and 95. For once, just for once, I would like us to actually follow through on what we started. Excuse me? You'd like us to follow through on what we've started? Uh, Oh, well. (laughs) (laughs) Well. I have a a quick question. I'm the um, mother of a special needs child. I'm also a teacher of English language learners. Um, But my, my question is, are these standards copyrighted? And as a result of that, can teachers veer off the script? Uh, let's take it to Carmel Martin. Yeah, they are not copyrighted. They're open. Um, and teachers, I think where we see Common Core being implemented effectively, teachers aren't following a script. We, we have heard very positive things from teachers of special ed students that in some ways they're better than the old way because it, it allows you to get the answer through different methodologies. In math, for example, it allows for different ways to get to the answer. I do think in some places with bad, where there's bad leader, instructional leadership, they're being given script and, and told to follow the script. But I don't think that's the right way to implement the standards. Carol Boris. The Common Core standards most certainly are copyrighted. They are. And I really, all of you, go online tonight and look. You're going to see that they're copyrighted. They're not allowed to be changed. When they're adopted by states, states may add 15%, but they cannot change any of the standards. That's one of the problems. Second, in terms of scripts, if you look in New York State, Engage New York, we spent over $28 million for curriculum. And that curriculum is full of scripts. Sure. Let's talk about New York is an interesting case because it is the only state in the country that has developed a fully fleshed out curriculum. Uh, And and I think you can certainly make the case that it's too fleshed out. And uh, and good administrators will tell their teachers, hey, use it as a resource uh, and it's there for you. But by no means should you be following it word by word. (laughs) You know, most states have the opposite problem, which is that there's nothing. There's nothing been developed, and teachers are saying, I'm desperate for something to help me teach to these standards. And what those teachers usually use is Engage New York. Something to consider. And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our motion is embrace the common core. And here's where we are. We are about to hear closing statements from each debater in turn. Our motion is this, embrace the common core. And here to give you his summarizing statement in support of this motion, Mike Petrelli, president of the Thomas P. Fordham Institute. Just want to say to some of the points that, that Rick and Carol made, they're, they're very smart to go and to look at some of the specific standards uh, that they've got questions about. And as we said at the beginning, there's no doubt the Common Core are not perfect, nor are they set in stone. Uh, you look at states around the country, they have found ways to add to the standards. Florida, for example, adding calculus to their math standards because of some of the concerns that Rick made, totally legitimate. There are no Common Core cops. But I want to talk again about what happens on the other side of this if you go backwards. Go check out Oklahoma right now because that's where you have spinning wheels because the legislature decided out of political pressure to pull back on these standards. You listen to Janetta Jante. She's an English language arts teacher at Oklahoma City's Southeast High School. She says, quote, now it's like we've wasted teacher training, teacher time, lesson planning, resources, all of those things we've just done. The senators have basically said, oops, sorry, we didn't mean for you to do all of that. The chaos in the classrooms will be great. Okay, we are four years into this, uh, and many, many teachers, millions of teachers across the country are working hard at, at making Common Core work. We should follow through now on what we have started. Uh, we should make it better as we go. We should address problems and challenges, but we should embrace the Common Core. Thank you. Thank you, Mike Petrelli. And that's our motion, Embrace the Common Core. And here to summarize her position against this motion, Carol Burris. She is principal of Southside High School in Rockville Center, New York. About 10 years ago, my husband and I bought a new car. It was gorgeous. And then one night when we were coming home, about a month after we bought it, it broke down. The oil light went on. Brought it into the station. They tweaked it a little bit, and they sent us on our way. 
Well, six months later, the car broke down again. And this time when we brought it in, they weren't quite so nice. They started asking us, well, what kind of oil were you using? A year later, same thing happened. Now we said we wanted the oil pump repaired. And all of a sudden, they started talking about how maybe we had not kept it up properly. We just had not implemented that car the right way. Well, the bottom line was, when we looked online, we found out that a lot of other people were having the same problem. We bought a lemon. We bought a lemon. But luckily, luckily, there were other cars for us to buy. I have to tell you, from my perspective, 25 years as an educator, the common core is lemon. And the problem is, it's the only car that they want to have on the lot. Our kids deserve better than this. They deserve new ideas. They deserve new approaches. They deserve differentiation. And they certainly don't deserve what has happened in New York, where only 30% of the kids are deemed to be proficient based on an insane standard. Carol Burris, I'm sorry your time okay. is up. <laughs> don't Thank embrace you very much. the Common Core. <laughs> <laughs> embrace the Common Core is our motion, and here... To summarize her position in support of the motion, Carmel Martin, Executive Vice President for Policy at the Center for American Progress. Thank you, John. Our children do deserve more. They deserve to be taught to the level that they need to be successful in college and career. And that's the overarching goal of these standards, and there's lots of evidence to support that it will get them to where they need to be. If this were 2012, all four of us, all four of the panelists here would be in agreement that we should not repeal the Common Core. Carol said as recently as 2012 that higher level thinking is more prominent in the Common Core than in all present state standards. And Rick said just last week that he was not necessarily saying to pull out of the Common Core. I think what he's saying tonight is the jury is out. What Mike and I are saying is to let's keep moving forward because our children can't afford to wait any longer for higher standards. And they can't rely on extraordinary principals or teachers to help them get there. The achievement gaps in our country are staggering, and it's time to tackle them aggressively. A vote to not embrace the Common Core will be interpreted as a vote to repeal the Common Core altogether. And as Mike said, we do not believe that there are good alternatives to that. There are real consequences to this decision. Higher versus lower standards, new expenses and change in course, frustration for countless educators. Those consequences should be at the forefront of your decision. Students who come to high school falling behind, only one in ten of them get to catch up, according to a recent ACT study. We Carmel need to get Martin, to them earlier. I'm sorry your time is up. I urge you to embrace the Common Core. Well done. Thank you, Carmel Martin. And that's our motion, Embrace the Common Core. And here to summarize his position against this motion, Rick Hess. He is Director of Educational Policy Studies at the American Enterprise Institute. Mike and Carmel tonight have repeatedly suggested that the Common Core is right on the big things, that all of the concerns, the tests, the curricula, the instruction are glitches, they're bumps in the road, they're things to be worked out. This all brings to mind the advice offered by a thoughtful pundit a few years ago on another major reform effort, No Child Left Behind. Uh, This pundit penned a terrific chapter for a book of mine uh, titled The Problem with Implementation is the Problem. Uh, The author was our own Mike Petrilli. Mike observed the central task of No Child Left Behind implementation is translating its aspirational statements and bold principles into action in the real world. To work well at the local level in real schools affecting real children, its contradictions must be resolved, its fuzzy notions must be made crystal clear. He wrote that when this fuzziness led to confusion, the fault must be placed on the law itself, not just on those charged with carrying it out. He observed where the implementation of the law has gone most smoothly is where at least a handful of states and districts have already paved the way. I think that was great advice. Happily, states have only begun implementation in earnest in most cases. Until 2013, two-thirds of American adults had never even heard of the Common Core. This is actually a propitious moment to hit pause, slow down, figure out what we're doing before we get too far downstream. For that reason, I'd like to ask you tonight to please vote against embracing the Common Core. Thank you, Rick Hess. 
And that concludes our closing statements. I really want to congratulate the spirit that the debaters brought to the stage tonight. I want to let you know that we've just launched a new app, and this lets you not only get to all of our debates, it lets you vote on our debates, see what's upcoming, all on your smartphone. And I have to say it's beautiful and elegant, and it's intelligent. In the preliminary vote, embrace the Common Core before the debate, 50% agreed with the motion, 13% were against, 37% were undecided. Those are the first results. Remember, you have to have changed the numbers more than your opponents in order to win in percentage point turns. Let's look at the second vote. Embrace the Common Core. The team arguing for the motion, their second vote was 67%. They went from 50% to 67%, a 17% increase. That is the number to beat in percentage points, 17%. Let's look at the team against the motion. Their second vote was 27%. They pulled over 14 percentage points, but it was not enough. The debate goes to the team arguing for the motion. Embrace the Common Core. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared. We'll see you next time. This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was held in front of a live audience at the Kaufman Center in New York City. Dana Wolf is our executive producer. Robert Rosencrantz is chairman. Maureen McMurray, Taylor Quimby, and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. Clea Chang is director of production. Chris Kamakawa is our researcher. And I'm your host, John Donvan. For more information or to purchase tickets to future events, visit iq2us.org. That's iq, the number two, dot org. Crucial support for the Intelligence Squared U.S. debates comes from its generous members and donors. With a special thank you to the Rosencrantz Foundation, Christopher W. Johnson, Profit Capital Asset Management, the Georgie Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Paulie Singer, David A. Coulter, and Mortimer Sackler. Intelligence Squared is distributed by NPR. Thanks for listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. I've got a special request this week. Snap Judgment with Glenn Washington is one of NPR's most popular podcasts, and right now they're raising money to keep the stories coming. Stories like what happens when you take a regular person and back him up against a wall, and that moment where everything you count on disappears. If Snap has become a favorite of yours, or if you've shared a Snap story, step up now and support NPR storytelling with a beat. Make a contribution right now at snapjudgment.org. And thanks.